0: Thursday edition of Locked On NBA. David Locke, Ben Golliver coming your direction as Locked On NBA continues to be there for you each and every day. And we're really going to pretend today we're going to turn off CNN. We're going to turn off COVID-19. And we're going to pretend that we're in the front office of an NBA team looking at what has happened this year and how we're going to adapt to it for the upcoming year. That, that's that's the focus for Ben and I today. Ben Golliver, Washington Post national columnist. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, Locke. I'll say this, these podcasts with you, they always fly by. I mean, 30 minutes it feels like 5 minutes when we chat. But now I'm reading your your tweets here, and it says something along the lines of you're doing an all-day live stream tomorrow. So, I mean, 30 minutes is a manageable amount of time, but are we how you're saying all day? Is this 10 hours, 12 hours? How long are you going to be going, and how much coffee is going to be involved? So
0: lots of coffee, and I'll have to get up to get the coffee. So here's the plan. Ben and I are recording on Wednesday for Thursday, so it's up early. Thursday is John Stockton's birthday. Jazz fans need some togetherness. NBA TV, starting at 10 a.m. Mountain Time, is airing the Stockton 28-assist game the Stockton record game, the all-star game, the Stockton game six, Houston, and game three of the 97 finals against the Bulls, which I believe is the past at Carl Malone. So as of right now, my plan is to live stream at Locked On Live on Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, probably going on right now while you're listening, uh, as well as Locked On Sports on, on Twitter or Periscope and Facebook the whole time. Uh, I have scheduled Mark Eaton coming by via Skype, Jeff Hornasek stopping by, former coaches, former broadcasters. So we're just going to make it an all day John Stockton birthday celebration. And maybe appropriately, I don't have John coming on the media. Maybe that's a John's been pretty good recently. I probably should reach out. Um, he's b- busy on his birthday. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so I'm, yeah, eight hours, 10 hours, something else. Oh, my
1: gosh. You're you're a monster, Log. Well, does John have a flip phone, or, or is he, right? Has is, is he, uh, he upgraded his technology yet, or where yeah. is he at? I don't I know if I can get John on, on Skype.
0: I don't know if I can get Mailman or Stockton on Skype. That, that's the problem. <laughs> uh, I tried to get Phil Johnson, a longtime assistant. He was like, "I don't have Skype." I'm like, "Oh, come on, I love you, Coach. Come on, baby." So we'll have we're gonna have a good time. Dave Fredman's gonna stop by. he has been on with the Jazz forever? So we're having a good time. This, this maybe actually because it's podcasting, we don't know. Uh, I want I want I want you to let's go into the front offices. So, I mean, these guys are all still working, right? They might be working out of their homes instead. And a lot of them, uh, I I do think we're going to find out uh, which teams were ahead of the game on scouting, since I'm going to guess that they don't get to have their in their meetings. And I'm going to guess the combine basketball combine probably doesn't happen. And some things of that sort aren't going to happen in quite the same fashion. So we will probably see which teams were ahead of the game scouting, but I think there's some interesting trends that took place this year, Ben, that if I'm in the front office of a team, I'm looking at right now, analyzing and trying to figure out. And the the number one on my list is the Milwaukee Bucks defense.
1: Because... Well, I, are you, you're referring to the three-point, their approach to three-point defense?
0: Well, it's actually, I think that's the mistake everyone's making when analyzing this. It's not the approach to three point shooting defense there's a there's a ch- uh, a really big trend change in the league on this it's their defense of the rim okay so let's start there their defense of the rim they're only allowing 29% of all shots at the rim that's that's an, the next best in the league is 31 Orlando's at 31.6 Utah's at 32 if you like compare this to years past there aren't other teams that have been anywhere 29% is the lowest number we've had in in years last year they were at 30.3% so they were about to go under that it was it was a a game changing number for them to be there dallas had done it a few years ago i think in in 17 18 they got close um but it it's a it's a game changing number to be at that level defending the rim.
1: Right. So to make that happen, number one, they've got a lot of personnel, right? So there's a lot of length uh, with the both Lopez's. um, So in their first and second unit, and then also obviously Giannis, his length is excellent and it's also functional too, right? He's moving around, covering a lot of ground, challenging shots, helping uh, and just, you know, taking up space. So they're doing um, a lot of good things inside from a personnel standpoint, but they're also basically saying like, look, we know we can't cover everything and we don't want to give up any of these you know, wide open, uncontested layups or dunks that some teams feel like they have to to cover the three-point line, right? So their priority list is very clear. Uh, my question for you, though, is if you're an executive who's trying to mimic this model, um, are you convinced it will hold up throughout an entire postseason run? In other words, if you do have to play a team like Houston um, or a team that can really spread you out or like Boston when they go super small, do you think that Milwaukee's stylistic advantage would be able to survive the playoffs because, you know, what we've seen, or I guess conventional wisdom during the Warriors era anyway, was that, like, if you were – even if you were really good at being big, eventually you would have to downsize, right? Um, so what, what do you think on that? Do you think they're so good at what they do well that it would work against everybody?
0: The math really works, right? So what they're doing what, – what's interesting – so what they're doing is they're denying the rim at, a as we talked about, an incredible rate. And therefore, they're giving up threes. And there's some interesting... There's another trend in this that we'll talk about here. But let's zero in on Milwaukee for a second. So what's actually not moving is... like Offenses have gotten too good. You used to be able to deny the rim and then teams would just take more... You'd get them to take more mid-range shots. They're actually not doing that. Now they just kick it back out and they take more threes, right? But the average above the break 3 or even let's just take the average 3 in the league is going in at 36%. So 36, that's you we can do this math together but we can also all do it at home. That's 1.8 points per shot, right? 1.08. The average shot at the rim is 63%. That's 1.26 points per shot. That's that's a huge difference there's every time they force you out to take that shot they're saving 0.18 points per shot you do that 10 times in a night that's two points 1.8 but two points yeah i do think it holds up i think the math is really really good on this
1: well yeah i think that i mean it helps that they have good perimeter um personnel too right I mean like if if you had a different team that was like okay we're building from the inside out right and we've got our centers and we're going to be able to take away the rim and we're set but you didn't have experienced veterans basically across the entire perimeter you didn't have unselfish team first guys who are willing to make those hard extra rotations and cover the ground to at least get contests up on the three-pointers and you weren't able in a lot of cases to stop uh, dribble penetration because you've got guys like Middleton uh, and Bledsoe, who are pretty darn good on the ball, right? And you also have Giannis, who if you're playing against like an elite playmaking wing, you can put him on it and make that guy's life difficult, right? So there's a lot of elements that they have that um, have taken multiple years to kind of acquire and, and to put together. And I just don't think in most cases you can't get to that number one ranked defense overnight, and so uh, you know, I wonder, like, is this replicable for other teams, right? Like could you have the could you believe in their math and yet find it difficult to actually be able to make it work for yourself? You know, or is this a team that's just sort of unique in how they do it?
0: All right, let's deal I'm gonna give you some math here of why if I'm in a front office, I'm finding out how to do this. Like, okay, so maybe it's not replicable by all teams, but if I'm in a front office, I have to do this. Of the top eight teams in the league denying attempts at the rim not defending them denying the attempts at the rim okay so the the eight teams that are below 33 33.2 percent of shots are less at the rim six of the eight are in the top eight of effective field goal percentage defense
1: mm-hmm.
0: of the top eight teams in the nba i'll say it again that deny shots at the rim not how they defend them just not allowing you to take them at the rim are six of the eight top eight effective field goal percentage defenses in the NBA. Only Orlando, who's 18th, and Miami, who's 12th, but Miami forces a tremendous amount of turnovers, so they risk things a little bit more. They also allow the most threes in the league. Therefore, if I'm sitting in a front office, I have to do this.
1: Well, here's the other aspect to it, and I, this is probably not the same direction you're going on it, but it also makes your team so much more watchable. I think some of the, the comments that I hear from, whether it's casual fans or diehard people or writers or fellow media members, it's like if you're watching a team and their defense doesn't have that backbone, and so they just give up this parade of layups, you know, and they're just trying to trade baskets, and they're getting into this thing of like, oh, let's go try to win a shootout. I mean, obviously, Milwaukee has a very potent offense, and arguably, you know, the best all-around offensive player in the league, if you want to call him that. In uh, Giannis, I mean, there's other guys you could make the case, but he's been spectacular this season. Um, they're not in the trading buckets game by any stretch, right? They can squeeze the life out of you. And when I watch a lot of these teams, especially um, you know a lot of these lottery teams, where they've tried to load up on offensive talent at the uh, you know at the expense of their defense, and they're just giving up layup after layup after layup. Um, not only are they uh, not winning the math battle that you're describing, but they're also, you know, causing me to, t- to tune out if I'm a viewer, right? So I, I do think that this not only is what you're describing uh, the smart uh, approach, it's also the more watchable approach. <laughs> and like I do think that we've gone too far here a little bit with the balance between offense and defense in the league, where there are some teams that just can't stop layups, can't stop drives, uh, don't have the right help, don't have the right length inside. And, uh, you know, a lot of their games, you know, when I'm tuning in, just feel pretty meaningless. All right.
0: I've got another trend on this that's happened in the league that if I'm a team watching this, uh, there's something interesting actually. And I got tipped off of this two weeks ago today while preparing for Utah versus Oklahoma city. And it was a fun stat note that I actually never got to use. Well, actually I did. Cause I did the open <laughs> of the broadcast and then, but first let me tell you, uh, About the most useful app on your phone, one of the ultimate life hacks, the secret weapon for becoming smarter and learning new things and getting ahead. It's Blinkist. Blinkist is unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser, takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books condenses them down to just 15 minutes so you can read or listen to them successful people like business leaders are well known for reading lots of books blinkist makes it for busy people who want to get the main points of the book quickly so you can start using information right away and with the audio feature blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during a commute a lunch break or while you exercise 12 million people are using blinkist Right now, and it's a has mass, a massive growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestsellers list as well as classic nonfiction, so you can go get them whether it's psychology, biography, memoirs. Most memoirs can be done in 15 minutes. Some of the self-help books I always say are magazine articles, but you don't make money for magazine articles. You make money for books, so therefore you do. You write a book. Blinkist has a special offer just for your audience. Go to blinkist.com/nba. Try it for free for seven days and save 25 percent. On your new subscription, that's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your seven-day free trial. You can also save 25% off when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. So I was so excited. and I actually did use this, Ben Goliver, because we started the broadcast as it was a normal night, and then it just became a little less normal night two weeks ago. Um, so this is interesting. Me, or at least I thought this was interesting. Let me share this with you. If you go back to 20, let's go to 2017-18. And thank you to Cleaning the Glass for having this so easily accessible. Uh, and I find the 10 best teams in the league at denying shots at the rim. Okay? They're also, three of them were in the top 10. Three of them were in the of, of denying threes. Three of them were in the middle of the pack at denying threes. And four of them were of not very good at denying threes. They sacrificed the rim and allowed threes. If you go to the 18-19 season and do the same thing, you have the same distribution, little skewed. Four of the teams that were in the top 10 denying shots at the rim were also the best at not allowing threes. Four of them were, three of them were in the middle and three of them were the worst, Milwaukee being number one and also allowing the most threes. So up until... This season, you denied the rim and you could also deny the three. However, this year, only the Utah Jazz are in the top five of the NBA at denying shots at the rim and denying threes. And only the Oklahoma City Thunder are in the top ten at denying shots at the rim and denying threes at the same time. So only two teams in the NBA are in the top 10 in denying shots at the rim and denying threes. Only one of them in the top five they were supposed to play two weeks ago today. That's why I was prepared for that. But it's an interesting sign that there's a a trend change here that if you deny the rim, you have to be comfortable giving up threes.
1: Are you attributing that to teams understanding how to utilize space better on offense and going smaller even more than we've seen and, and loading up lineups with four and five shooters or, or what do you think has contributed to that in the last couple of years?
0: So I think that it's, um I think it's offenses have gotten smarter, right? You used to deny the rim and kind of lure people into maybe taking some mid-range shots. Now uh, teams, instead of taking that mid-range shot, are probably going to work it back out to go get a three or something else instead, or, or try to trade those, those shots in that fashion um so that would be the first thing i think is just kind of that they're they're bet you know they're better at that uh toronto seventh best defending the rim they allow the third fewest amount of mid-range shots and they allow the second most amount of threes right and they're pretty good defensively they they have the third best effective field goal percentage defense in the league And, and they're the extreme because they actually are the ones who uh aren't forcing any mid-range shots and they're allowing a huge amount of corner threes just because of the way they play. So they actually do it statistically the least well of anyone. And they're still the third best effective field goal percentage defense in the league. Um, so I think what you're seeing is that offenses have gotten smarter. Okay. If I can't get the rim, then I'll work it through. I'll go get that corner three or I'll swing it around. And I'll get it. And I'm spaced better as you're saying, and I'll get better shots than I was getting. I won't, I won't fall sucker to the shot you're trying to get us to take.
1: For sure. So let me, we were talking about whether Milwaukee was replicable earlier. So you're mentioning Utah being the only team in the top five, both ways, Um, outside of cloning Rudy Gobert. uh, How could teams try to strive for that uh, in this, you know, 2020 modern era, or is it, is it not really possible?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think that's might be what most is most interesting. It might not be possible, right? That's, that's what I think just happened is um, unless you're cloning Rudy Gobert and then how, why Oklahoma City's able to do it. I'm not quite sure. I mean, Steven Adams really is good. I don't know. They're 10th in they're ninth in one and 10th in the other. So they're right on the threshold. Um, and even if you take it, I mean, Ben, if I stretch it out even further and you go to, if you go to the top, like half of teams that deny the rim, like you have all of the top, uh, the bottom 10 teams that denying the three, you have every single one of them. So it's, it's interesting. I do like they're defending the rim has become so paramount and offenses have adjusted. So I guess that's the question. Let me flip a question back to you. If this is what I have built is factual. Okay. You're going to teams are going to defend the rim. And Kevin Pelton wrote about this a long time ago. Teams can dictate defenses will dictate how many shots you get at the rim. Offenses will dictate how many threes they get. If, if you know against, Teams committed, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Orlando, Utah, you're going to have a hard time getting to the rim. What is your offensive adjustment to that? Do you decide you're just taking 63s in a game? Do you try to get better mid-range shooters if that's even possible? What is the offensive adjustment that you make to try to get to the rim on these teams that just won't let you get there?
1: Yeah, look, I think if you're playing against uh, Utah or Milwaukee and – uh, your standard personnel, in other words, if you're playing your traditional center, you're playing uh, you know somewhat big to match up with them, and you just basically are taken away from the the painted area completely um, that your best strategy is to just keep going smaller and smaller and smaller and eventually hoping that you can either force um, their centers off the court. in other words, you know create space that way or put so much uh, you know playmaking talent on the court by basically you know downsizing that you have enough guys who can attack the weak side and find uh, you know, driving lanes uh, through ball movement and, you know, free throw line attempts that you can kind of compensate in that manner. I mean, you, you basically have to open it up one way or the other. Uh, I, you know, and uh, I think if you play either Utah or Milwaukee on their terms, if, if you kind of let them stay big and I would even throw the Lakers into this too, I'm not sure what their, uh, their rim protection numbers look like, but, if you let the Lakers stay big and, and play their center and, and they're throwing lobs to McGee and, and Davis is blocking shots and everything else. Like, I think that could be a losing proposition for a lot of teams. So uh, I do think that the the natural counters would be to go smaller and to, to just, you know, chuck it up in even bigger numbers. And I think a lot of teams are already wired to do that anyways. Right. Um, I mean, I, I think that that's been a copycat syndrome we've seen from the Warriors here over the last five years is, you know, teams like Portland, uh, Houston, the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, a lot of these teams, they want to throw up a lot of threes uh, and let their their best guard talent just go to work basically as often as possible um, and sometimes not even call them plays, just basically let them go, go to town. Uh, and I, I think that's, you know, most likely your best strategy unless you've got some other brilliant ideas.
0: I would have loved to see this Milwaukee team play the Warriors in the finals.
1: Um, Well, something would have had to give, right? I mean, I think they would have just
0: left – they had Lopez sit at the rim while Draymond Green sits outside the three-point line, right?
1: Well, for sure. And that's the the thing is, like, it's so much easier to cramp things up if you're one of those big teams if there's a non-shooter on the court, right? So I think that's another major adjustment is not only are you trying to put your best playmakers on the court, but you're you're definitely trying to put five outside shooting threats on the court. So if you have a non-shooter who is allowing the defense to kind of step back and you know daring you to shoot um then that guy is probably going to have to come off uh you know at one point or another especially if he's not your lead playmaker like you might be able to get away with it if you're uh you know your your main ball handler is a non-shooter so you have a space court with four shooters around him uh but if he is you know like a stretch four who just can't stretch i think that guy is basically going to become obsolete in these scenarios
0: it's really it's the math is so interesting because if, if the average shot at the rim is 63%, which it is, then you decide you're not allowing the rim, you're allowing the open three. They have to shoot 42% on a three to match that 63%. Now, the rim is the worst-case scenario, so you, you're you not going to live. You know, if they shoot 40% from three, you're going to lose. Like, it doesn't quite work that way, but it's an interesting – the way you beat this is that at some point you have all five guys can shoot 40% from three.
1: Right. Well, that's what, that's basically what Houston was trying to do. But then they, you know, the personality stuff with Westbrook, you know, and Chris Paul and and Harden came in, came involved. So they're not quite able to get there, but I thought that was the direction they were trying to trend to during the Harden and Chris Paul era, right? Because both those guys are awesome shooters. Both those guys can space uh, off of another ball handler and creator and PJ Tucker and their other interchangeable wings were basically giving them that kind of a scenario If that's where basketball goes in, like, two or three years, you know, where basically, you know, the the very best teams all have five 40% three-point shooters, it would not surprise me. I mean, it kind of seems like the the natural evolution. I don't think we've maxed out in terms of how many three-pointers per game or, like, what percentage of shots are threes. I think that's still going to be increasing here over the next couple of years. And I also think that as pace increases, like – um, you know and, and you're able to shoot you know even more threes and, and stretch teams out and, and make the big guys work you know in transition uh, as well i think a lot of teams are going to look at that as uh, you know as the ideal approach
0: He's Ben Golliver. You can get his Washington Post weekly newsletter. Go to his Twitter feed, at Ben Golliver. It's the pinned tweet. Just sign up for it there. It is Locked On NBA. We come to you Monday through Friday. Still keeping you entertained. Still keeping your mind off it. Being a little bit of a release for you with all of it. Did you hear the big news? Chad Ford is now on the Locked On Podcast Network. The NBA Draft Big Board. Chad Ford's NBA Big Board starts March 30th this Monday for you, make sure you go to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe. So, with the forty percent three point shooters that you're mentioning right there, how valuable does the great Duncan Robinson become? The purple cow,
1: <laughs> your favorite player. <laughs> well, I mean, they're a team that could be going that direction, right? I mean, I guess the the tricky part is Jimmy isn't a great shooter, but I think that you know, in certain situations, he can kind of get along, but Um, you know, does what you're basically saying is Duncan Robinson, does that kind of a player become an archetype, um, where, uh, you know, the best teams are going to want to have their fourth and fifth options looking like him.
0: Yeah. I mean, Davis Bertans took 65% of his possessions as threes So far, Duncan Robinson took 78% of his possessions as threes. Seth Curry's having an incredible year, taking 48% of his possessions as threes. Not shots, possessions. So that counts turnovers and everything else. I mean, those are incredible numbers, but I, Doug McDermott's having a great year at 40, like 48%. And probably Curry and McDermott should be more Duncan Robinson-esque. I, I, I think that what we're seeing, so to build it off on a personnel level, what the trend we're talking about I think makes two types of players more valuable than they have but obviously the greats are incredibly valuable right Harden Lillard Carmelo Giannis Anthony Davis all those guys the very few bigs that can actually get on top of the rim when the defense is back and the very few wings that can get threes off if contested or just knocked have become more valuable so three of those guys I mentioned McDermott Duncan Robinson and Davis bertanz are all 6'8 right
1: For sure. Well, I think another team that you should watch uh, for this entire experiment is actually the Los Angeles Clippers, right? So they have a traditional center in Zubac. Then they have the typical smaller ball center with Harrell. But I actually think their most deadly lineups, they never really unveiled or went to, but they could certainly have tried to do it during the playoffs, would basically be using uh, Morris, you know, Marcus Morris as their center, then Kawhi Leonard and Paul George as the, the three and the four. Interchangeably. And then you have your backcourt with like Landry Shamit and Patrick Beverly. So now you've got five legitimate three point shooters. You've got five switchable defenders, basically one through five. Uh, You know, Shamit might not, and and Beverly might struggle against a real center, but I think other teams are going to have to match up with them, right? And you've got all sorts of length. You've got plenty of rebounding between Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, uh, and Morris. You've got some decent physical toughness. You, the only thing you're really lacking is the shot blocking, but you do have just an incredible amount of space and playmaking uh, capabilities as well. And you have the five uh, knockdown three point shooting threats. Like, how many teams in the league are matching up with that five? Like, that five seems absolutely devastating. And it's not even a lineup that uh, the Clippers were necessarily like, you know, trotting out there uh, at all. But it no, does no. seem like kind I, of like a I, secret I weapon, it up, and man. it could be where they go in two years. You know,
0: I just pulled it up. You know how many minutes that Atlanta's played? Uh is it zero? Zero.
1: Yeah. That's it. And well look, that's not because I haven't tried law, trust me. I've sent a lot of text messages to people who <laughs> would would have authority on that one. <laughs> saying like, hey, like, give me a look on this, right? Let me just see what this looks like. But if you're saying what does basketball look like in twenty twenty three, right? If we're fast forwarding three years, couldn't it look like that? Wouldn't that be sort of the new death lineup, quote-unquote, or you know maybe it's not quite as good as that death lineup was because it doesn't have as many Hall of Famers as the Warriors did. But I mean, to me, that seems like a rough, rough group to try to match up with for anybody.
0: They've only played it with a center, so they've only played it with Zubak or they've played it with Montrezl Harrell, mostly with Zubak. They've played Patrick Beverly with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Morris, and Zubak. They're plus 20. Per a hundred possessions with that group on the floor, so that's pretty good.
1: Right.
0: They all plus twenty. Yeah. And if you put Landry Shamit in there instead of Marcus Morris, they've only done it for forty five possessions, and they they're plus sixty per a hundred possessions plus <laughs> sixty.
1: I'm telling you. Well, that's why I thought they were going to win the title, frankly. I mean they they just had so many different looks that they can go to big, small, in between, long. I mean, kind of however you really want to play. But because some of these guys were so new after the deadline, they, they didn't even necessarily get a chance to explore some of the things. And they had a lot of combinations that were working, so I understand why they wouldn't get, want to get too creative. But, like, it, they have the decision on Montrezl Harrell this summer in terms of how much do you pay him and if somebody could have come after him and everything else. And I actually wonder if they had a, a player like a Morris or even a Jermichael Green, who is now going to work maybe as their small ball five instead of Harrell, is that a, a potential strategy for them kind of heading into the future and, and getting more towards this, like, future version of basketball that you're describing? I, I mean, I could see it happening, you know. And I think that most people would think, oh, wow, they lose Montrezl Herald this summer in free agency. That could be a really, really big hit for them. I mean, he's obvi- you know, uh, obviously a candidate for sixth man of the year, and he's been incredible for them the last couple of seasons. Uh, but it could be a situation where they just sort of rebrand with a smaller, more versatile group, and it winds up working.
0: I was playing the yeah. other day with lineups similar to what you're doing, and I decided just to take, go use cleaning the glasses uh, off the court feature. So, like, on the Clippers, I took Amir Coffey, Jerome Robinson, Jamichael Green, Motley, Harkless, Patrick Patterson, some guy whose name I can't pronounce, off the floor, right? So, therefore, you know, you've only got guys that are likely to play. They are, the, their offensive rating was a 121, 99th percentile, their defensive rating was a 104.9, 91st percentile. They're plus 16 per 1,000. They played 1,100 1, possessions like this, plus 16 per 100 possessions, the 99th percentile. That would be your argument right there of why that team should, would win the title.
1: For sure. Um, now you're just breaking my heart, though. <laughs> now I'm just getting sad.
0: Do you, what is your, as, as we wrap here, um, what's your, do you have any vibe on what's your, your guess is at this point?
1: Um, I mean, I'm going off of two things. Number one, the, the news headlines that everyone's reading, which are getting darker and darker by the week. Um, and you know, so that is not great. Uh, number two, just kind of internal communications with people. And there is a lot of hope. Right. There's a lot of commitment, like we want to get this thing back on track no matter what. But there's also a lot of realism too, saying, like, this is an insane challenge that's much bigger than basketball that, you know, even through everybody's concerted best wishes and everybody sticking to the quarantine and everything else, it may not be resolved in the, in the time that they needed to be. I find it very difficult to believe there's going to be fans in buildings at any point this summer. Uh, you, you see the news with the the Olympics um, postponing. I mean, I think that's a, a good, uh, you know, data point that says, look, even if you're trying to get things back on for June, July, and August, kind of delaying things, it's not going to be fans in the building. It's going to have to be something that looks a little bit different. So I guess I would still put myself in the skeptical camp, uh, that they're going to be able to salvage this thing. But I do know for a fact that the decision makers are trying to do everything they possibly can to play some games. And, and part of the reason why is, you know, of course, financial. Right now, they're looking at a potential $1 billion revenue hit if they can't save the playoffs in some form. And the NBA is like an 8 or $9 billion a year business. So that's a huge hit for them. Um, and, you know, they've got every reason to try to be as creative as possible to save this thing.
0: Oh, all right. By the way, if, when I ran the Lakers taking Jared Dudley and Jacumbo and Cook and Rondo and Tucker and Daniels and Norvell off, they were a plus 11. So not plus 20. Pretty good plus 11.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, look like the Lakers Clippers scenario, the Clippers rockets potential scenario, um, you know, the Lakers bucks scenario, the Clippers bucks scenario. I mean, any of those provide just, just scintillating like matchup possibilities, like stylistic clashes. I mean, every single one of those matchups where you would be able to get into this philosophical debate about what's the right way to play. And, and who's the weakest link, and, like, is this, you know, definitive, or is this just an anomaly? Like, uh, there was going to be so many rich basketball conversations capable from from coming from those last couple of rounds of the playoffs, um, and, you know, we just sit and wait, I guess.
0: I can't believe you hate the Raptors that much.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I just, I mean, would you really put them into that level? I wouldn't. And and same thing with the Celtics. I mean, the Celtics would make things interesting because they can go really small, and you know, it's like almost chaos ball when they do that. Um, I just don't think that they have a matchup for Giannis. So and same deal with Toronto. Like I think that they'd put up a fight, but I, I think that the philosophical stuff just favors Milwaukee pretty clearly in both those matchups.
0: Um, I kind of like Toronto. There, I, I I think it, t- Toronto is this... You know what? Here's what happened last year. Toronto was the best team I saw last year. And then when it came time to pick, I got caught up in the numbers. Toronto's the best team I saw this year, too. Now, the Lakers might have been better. For whatever reason, the Clippers haven't played well against the Jazz. So for me personally, when I've watched them, they that has not been the case. Um, but I would I would just say that when... I, the rap when we've watched the Raptors, they're uniquely different than everyone else with their speed and the amount of athletes and 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 that aspect of things. So I, yeah, I I think I think the raptor uh, Raptors Bucks seven game series. I don't know who I take.
1: Wow, I love it. Well, I mean that would be just a crazy narrative if that's what comes out of it. It's like Raptors going to defend their title against one of these LA teams, especially if it was the Clippers. Obviously, that would be like the dream narrative from Toronto side of like showdown with Kawhi, you know, it's like a, a test of superstar versus system and culture and everything else. I mean, that would maybe be less basketball philosophy and more just like narrative juice. But yeah, I mean, look, we weren't going to go wrong anyway. Uh, unfortunately, we're just, we've got the worst case scenario right now.
0: Toronto Clippers, the league could still lose their billion dollars. Oh, but
1: I'm, hey, 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 come on. <laughs>
0: All right, on that note, Ben Golliver, Washington Post. Make sure you read him, grab his newsletter. I'm David Locke. Anthony and Adam will be with you next week or with you Friday. And right now, make sure you take a second and grab Rejecting the Screen. It is a podcast with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stenko. They go ISO every week with really interesting characters. So this week, make sure you tell your smart device to play podcast Rejecting the Screen.